Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham, Scott, alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Sean, it's curling season. Been waiting all summer for this. Have you? You've just been sitting around looking at the clock, being like, it's almost time. Yeah, I I have. I've been uh, sitting here in this room, (laughs) you know, with the air conditioner blowing on my head, just waiting for curling to start. Yeah, there's. I, I have a theory that based on the amount of salt that the city of Ottawa puts down around city buildings, that it's somebody's job just to put salt down, and they wait all summer in their office just looking at the forecast, depressed when it's warm, and then as soon as it gets to six degrees, they go out and just dump all the salt that they can. They're so excited. And then they get to February and they're like, oh my God, we have no salt left. What happened to all of our salts? And it's like, well, you put it all down in October. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we're looking forward to this curling season as we start to turn the page to action going on. A lot of events going on around the world. We had the event in Scotland at their performance center. A lot of the European teams competing in that this past weekend. We had the first of the two Oakville events took place this past weekend we have another one coming up this weekend as a lot of the teams from central and eastern canada the top teams are in oakville for those two events we also have some events out west some teams are heading i believe to edmonton to get their legs under them those those early september get your legs spiels are going on across the country very exciting as we look ahead to the pre pre trials and the pre 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 trials which will be taking place in ottawa later this month and we hopefully will be there curling canada did announce that media will be allowed so hopefully we'll be able to get into the building cover those events a little bit to give you a sense of what's going on on those two events as they take place as teams try to get those Entries into the trials and into the pre-trials in October. And with that, Curling Canada did announce that they are going to stream three draws a day from the Ottawa events. And it means that with Curling coming back in broadcast form, it made me think about something that was on my mind, certainly during the bubble. And it's come up a little bit on the show. The idea of players as characters where what we see on tv isn't representative of the player as a human being it's their character their curling character that they have and what we see a lot of is people who are critical of players not for their play but for their personalities and my theory here is that that's not fair because Their personalities on the ice is very different than who they are as a person. So we should think of them as characters. So, Scott, that's my hypothesis on how we should view players who are on TV, that we're not viewing the person. We're viewing this character of who they are while they curl. What do you think of that hypothesis? Well, that makes a ton of sense, Sean. It's like any uh, portion of TV, like, for example, reality TV or 
other sports, you're, you're only seeing a really, really small slice of this person. We think of it in curling as more than other sports because they're mic'd up. You have close up shots of the face, you know, TSN lists their occupation when they, they come out. So they feel a little more like us. So it's easier to identify, mm-hmm. but you know, you're in maybe the highest pressure situation you've been in your, in your life. If you're super competitive and you're, you know, really invested in the outcome of the game, you know, it's going to break through sometimes where, you know, ah, slam your broom, maybe a bit of a curse. And that shouldn't be, you know, what the public thinks of you in your worst moment or in your best moment. We're, we're somewhere in between. So yeah, I think having the players that we see on TV, thinking that you can get a full picture of who they are as people from that uh, is pretty foolhardy. Yeah. So that's sort of how we approach it and how we think of it. And I think that's try to ha- or that's how we try to talk about players when we are talking about them on the show. We're talking about, say, communication and what we hear on the mics uh, and what we see when we're in person and trying to almost play body language doctor <laughs> at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in trying to assess the relationships and there is a very much a difference between who we see on camera and who we don't but that's our opinion and scott i don't know between the two of us i believe we've played zero tv games between us and our guest many many more <laughs> yeah between us and our guest this week we've played probably i don't know 50 tv games and have a couple briar medals yeah, and we have none, so it'll <laughs> show you what our guest has done. <laughs> yeah, so we we reached out to Kirk Myers to talk about this from a player's perspective and how aware players are of the mics and the cameras, how long it takes to adjust to that, and what players think of that fans see when they're out on the ice playing these TV games. So Kirk was nice enough to join us. If you would rather watch it, it is available on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Game of Stones pod. You can head there and you can watch the video of the chat that we had with Kirk. So it's available there. Or if you'd rather listen to it, stick with us right now because here is our chat with Kirk Myers. All right, and Kirk Myers joins us now out from Saskatchewan. Kirk, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. We still got a little uh, a little summer left in us in, in Regina here, so hopefully it <laughs> holds on for a few more days. Yeah, I remember one Labor Day weekend when I was in Regina, someone said it's snowing in Edmonton and it's coming this way, and just the whole place just got very depressing. <laughs> oh, it is. And I, I never realize, you never realize the seasonal depression until spring comes around. And then when <laughs> spring comes around, you're like, oh, this is so good, but you don't realize it until then. So as, yeah. as long as we can hold on, as long as we can hold on for a couple more weeks, we're, we're okay. Yeah, and I'm sure it was even more for you this year after you spent all that time in the bubble uh, to get out as spring is starting, like a double whammy of freedom and spring. Yeah, well, yeah, totally it was. And uh, I remember, I must say, I remember in Calgary too, like it was nice there. So we'd sit on our balcony or go for a walk around the the complex and that sort of thing. So I remember like, I guess the seasonal depression was wearing off at that point already in the bubble. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Well, we're, we're really excited for you to join us to talk about this. As we said on the intro, there's this idea of what we think of players based on what we see on TV. And the majority of the curling fandom know players from TV. And it's the most intimate of television sports because you guys are mic'd up. But at the same time, 
it's you guys in a competitive setting for the most part. I mean, there's the occasional events where we see where it's pretty light and loose, but at the top of your game, especially at a Briar World Championships and, and this year in November at the trials, th- this is as intense as it gets for you guys. So we can see some things that might not always reflect the best on the players because of that. But uh, before we get into some of the specifics, I'm just curious, do you guys ever go back and watch your TV games uh, outside of potentially watching for strategic things or just the the way normal athletes watch tape? Do you ever go back and watch them just for fun? Uh, You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think many players do. Like I I know I find myself like once in a while I will, but it's kind of, weirdly awkward listening to yourself I find or watching yourself so I kind of stay away from it a little bit but you know we do watch um we do watch kind of call it game film so we'd go back you know watch an end here or there watch a game or or even watch other teams and see what they're doing and that sort of thing so there is a lot of that that goes on um myself like I'm a huge curling fan like I love watching curling on tv so like I took to go and watch other teams play and that sort of thing great it's just I find that like if it's not live and in the moment, so going back and watching one of our games is just just for fun. Doesn't hold a lot of uh, excitement, right. um, but we do do it to get better, I guess you could say. So, well, is, is there any benefit to being the TV game far, from the film perspective that you can, if you wanted to, go back and hear the communication more clearly than you could if you have if you're recording from the end uh, that, that I know a lot of teams do. Yeah, absolutely. There's absolutely that piece. If you're if you're the TV game, you got four players that are mic'd up. You can generally go and get see hear the good communication. Um, what we find is a lot of our important communication is actually between shots. So when the other team's playing, when our mics are off, there's a lot of good communication in there that that we don't get by watching on TV. Um, and then as we play the shot, there's you know the communication. You know, that's what you hear at home. Um, a lot of the little things that w- we continue to work on it's kind of in between shots and how we're communicating, like what had just happened, what's going to happen, those sort of things. So it kind of gets lost obviously when you're watching it on TV, but uh, those are like the little pieces that you kind of are starting to put together more and more. It seems in the last couple of years. Well, how, how much would you say that the people at home here of a, of a game of your guys communication, like, could you put it like under 50%, I would assume. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Like, and I mean, there's, there's also the bias towards the back end. Where they like some some games when we're playing the front end doesn't even have mics and so mm-hmm. like there there'd be a there'd be a bias just to make sure when the back end's talking that you hear you don't hear a lot of the front end and then you know yeah 50 50 whether you're throwing the shot or the other team's throwing the shot is when your mics are on or off so right. um if you if you're gonna if you're gonna slip out a swear do it when the other team's uh throwing but that's not that's not usually when the emotions run high so that's why everyone hears the swears on tv because it's right after your shot your mic's still on and then you let it slip <laughs> yeah well we talked to andrew stokely last year who's who does sound for the slams uh and and he talked about that like not wanting to embarrass players by allowing that stuff to get out or in between ends making sure mics are off and you don't get too many hawk mic moments although we had some great ones in the bubble laura walker i think had a couple of the best ones uh, after yeah, shots during the during the scotties so it's it's fun to hear those but would you say that what is presented to fans like how accurate is it of the people right you we, i said this before we started to record the idea for this is based partly off of your team and even a guy like Steve Laycock, I mentioned, very quiet on the ice, but everyone seems to like him. Everyone says good things about him, but he doesn't 
necessarily pop as a TV personality. So, you know, how accurate of a sense do you think you can get of a player from TV when you're sitting at home and watching? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't, um, I would say generally speaking, I don't think you get a really good sense of it. Uh, you know, it's like curling, like you said, is so intimate that we can, we can like hear you talk. We, we can like start to develop, develop your personality in our mind, but that's that like persona you see on TV. Plus you're only seeing 50% of that communication. And it's almost like when you, when you have a celebrity and you see them on TV and you see them in the media, you think, you know, this person, but you really don't because you're just seeing this persona that you see on TV that's being portrayed to you. <clears throat> excuse me. It's being portrayed to you by, first of all, the producers. And then second of all, it's these athletes in the absolutely heat of the moment, how they're, how they're kind of going about their business. And, you know, you see it a lot, you know, I think with, with women's teams, it's like, well, that, that woman isn't a very nice person. Well, she's just competitive. She's a great person, great person. And just because she's competitive, it's for some reason that the masses think that she's not a nice person. Right. And I, I find that, especially on the women's side, it just blows my mind that that's, that's still how, it, how, how people perceive that. And then it, mm -hmm. on the men's side, it's okay when a man is angry or in the zone. But for a woman, that's not a, or a woman, that's not okay. And I think that's something that really needs to change kind of moving forward. But I don't think you actually get a true sense of the person by watching them on TV. Yeah, I think we call that Jennifer Jones syndrome actually <laughs> the competitive yeah, woman who's just, criticized for like, being competitive. Yeah. And it blows mm. my mind. It's unbelievable in my opinion, but that it is that she's, she's the goat. She's the best ever. Mm. Um, she's competitive. She's yeah. focused. And then people draw conclusions based on that. And I mean, I, I don't know Jennifer well, but I've met her a few times and obviously talked to her over the years. She's one of the most amazing people you're ever going to meet. And mm -hmm. so it, it just doesn't portray that way on TV and people draw their conclusions unfairing. So, so Kirk, I wonder how much does the team think of how they're being portrayed when they're in the moment, uh, or is there just you know you're in the zone, uh, you're playing? How, how much I, does that cross your mind? You know, I, I don't think it's a ton. Um, we don't talk about it as a group. Like our our thought process is when you go, you 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 put yourself in the place that you need to be to bet to compete your best, mm -hmm. and whatever that looks like from the outside in, that's that's just what it's going to be. Um, and I think the other side of it too is, is to have people draw their, draw these conclusions and have their opinions and like have the people they like to cheer for and they don't like to cheer for, like, that's just good for the game. You know, it's good. It's good for the game that people are drawing these weird conclusions about players because then it creates that interest and it creates people cheering against or for a player. So I think all in all, that is actually good for the game. There's just this element of generally curlers aren't professionals so we're not going home to our million dollar paycheck so it's a little tougher to take some of that criticism when you aren't necessarily being compensated like a golfer or an mlb player or whatever that may be right yeah and we certainly saw that last year during the worlds both on the men's and the women's sides that uh, with with everything that was at stake last year and obviously Carrie Anderson and their team struggled early in the week there. And there was a lot of criticism on them. Uh, and I think there was something with Jim Bender with Botcher's team and they ended up going back and forth on that. Uh, and that's the sort of stuff that you don't really like to see uh, when you're a fan. Uh, but it, I, it also brings me to the question, Kirk, with everything going on with social media and so many teams being proactive on social media that sponsors obviously like it, that you're out there, you're, you're putting this forward, but it does lead to this interaction that you have to have with fans at some level. So how much does the perception of the team feed into what you're doing on social media or, or do you farm it out and have other people do it 
uh, during events. So you don't have to look at that and you can just keep all that noise out of the team. Yeah. And that's been a transition over the last few years. I think with a lot of teams is um, there's this element of teams are like these professional entities that don't, and again, going back to the money, don't make professional money, but still need to uh, train like a, you know, Olympic athlete or professional athlete, but then also go to work and have families. And we all know that whole, that whole story. So it's really transitioned into some getting people to help with some of that stuff. Like you said, farming it out. Um, so we've been doing that the last couple of years, um, farming it out during events. So we don't have to, you know, play a game, run off the ice, get on social media to post those sort of things. So we can kind of lay back, but at the same time, we're still very engaged in it. So we're still, you know, maybe not so much during the event, but between events, before events, we're still engaged in that social media. Cause like you said, it's part, it's part of, you know, life now, but it's also very much a part of any athlete being in that social media, being interactive with fans. It's very important to kind of keep that going. So we still do it, but we do farm it out and we do have someone that helps us um, during events so we can focus on just playing. And I'm wondering, you mentioned earlier that when you're out on a, say you're the TV game, you, you guys try not to focus on it. Don't pay attention. You're just there to, to play. How long does it take you or did it take you personally to be able to get to that point because i would imagine the first time you're out there with cameras on you it's hard to ignore uh, so how long did it take for you to, to get to that point to forget that you're mic to forget that the cameras are there yeah no that's uh I, I think it's always kind of a work in progress and i remember the first for sure the first few games i found it was tougher to get used to lots of people in the building because you have these people's eyes on you and you can connect with them you could look at them look them in the eyes and they're there um whereas like the cameras just kind of there it's it's just kind of this not real thing right you don't see the people on the other side of that so i found that easier to deal with the cameras than saying playing in an arena with fifteen thousand people mm-hmm. and so that took a lot more for me to kind of get through and i would say it took you know we we, we won the bronze at the briar in 2015 and i remember the semi-final of that event i played terrible and looking back on that that was because i was so worried about the people in the crowd and, and it took me a little while to realize that and then so I kind of, you know, worked on that over the last, you know, the next four or five years. And now it's not such a big issue, but it's still definitely something I remind myself of going into those games. You know, there's going to be a big crowd. I'm going to have a mic. There's going to be cameras in my face, whatever that may be. Once you recognize it, you move past it, it, it becomes easier. But um, it's definitely, definitely something that, uh, that you have to be aware of and then just kind of move forward. But it probably took me a, two or three years of being on TV and in the big crowds to realize what was happening in those moments. And then this year, you're going to have the transition back to crowds after what last year was, where you had cutouts in the crowd and maybe some people who weren't playing uh, that draw in the building. Uh, So that'll be, I'm sure, a transition to get used to it again. Uh, So it's good that I assume you guys are looking forward to the Grand Slams, not only for the playing in the slams, but also for that experience, get people back in the building in advance of the trials, which is going to be a pretty lively atmosphere, I'm, I'm imagining. Yeah, absolutely. And like, there, there's also this other element of playing in front of a crowd is dealing with the crowd noise. So like, if yeah. you know, if, if Jennifer Jones makes a huge shot on the sheet next to you, and you're getting ready to throw, and also 10,000 people start to erupt, how are you going to deal with that? Like, are you going to throw? If you're halfway through a shot, and you're halfway down the ice, and you're trying to communicate now you're into hand signals. So all those things are good to get back into something we didn't have to deal with in the bubble, which was, you know, in hindsight, kind of nice. But at the same time, like, there's nothing better than when like, you know, when you're in any arena and the arena erupts, it's unreal, much less when you're playing on that, that ice. Like it's, it's, it's so cool. Yeah. Cause there were some shots this year that would have really brought the house down. Uh, you had obviously what Wayne Madaw was doing, 
all week yeah. uh, was was crazy. The I, I hate to bring it up, but the shot you guys lost on in the semis, uh, that would have been oh, a pretty loud thanks for bringing roar. that up. Well, I got to go, guys. This is the end of the, end of the interview. Uh, like, but they're like, and, and, and what Matt can do at the end of games too, the, the big high hard ones that he can throw. Uh, you know, there was, there were some yeah. moments there and they mentioned it on the broadcast frequently. Like, could you imagine if there were people here, uh, the place would just be, be hopping. Uh, but it does lead me a little yeah. bit uh, then to, to your team, Kirk, that you have, I think it's quite interesting to see who you play with uh, perception wise in the fan base. Cause I think Laura Walker is pretty universally loved in the fan base. Like you don't really see any Laura Walker hate online, uh, but you do see it a little bit occasionally with uh, a little bit with Matt, but I think Moss gets most of what, of, of what I've seen. Um, so, but can you just explain to me or, or to the people out there, like how different are these people from what we might see on TV. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're, I think like, again, everyone has their persona on TV, but it's not necessarily a persona on TV. It's just when they're competing, they have these personas and like, um, you know, w- whether it's Maddie B, you know, I last year at the Briar, he got in trouble cause he slammed his broom and the head popped off. Well, anybody that curls know that like those, those heads just kind of fly off sometime when the pressure bursts yeah. up. So we didn't, it wasn't crazy, but then there's that perception that he's a hothead and a crazy guy and this sort of thing. And it's like, well, actually you have a, you have a 25 year old kid who's on the way to be one of the best curlers ever to live. Who's dedicated his life to this um, and is very competitive. And that's the only way he can get good is if you're very competitive. Otherwise you wouldn't put yourself through the turmoil that you put yourself through to get to that, that level. And then he has a moment where he's frustrated with himself, shows a little frustration and now the, the the masses go, oh, this guy, he's out yeah. of control. Well, if you guys have ever met Matty or Mosk or whatever that may be, the, these guys are salt of the earth. Like, they're good time Charlies, great people, care for their friends and family. Like, you wouldn't believe, like, welcome me into this team. Like, unlike anything else you've ever experienced, ha- you know, has great love for their family and friends. Um, but then in that moment, when they're really everything they've worked for their whole life, has a little, uh, you know, a little tough moment um, and then shows a little frustration. Then everyone's painted this picture with them. And I think it's completely, you know, it's completely unfair. But that being said, oh, we got my dog joining us. All right. Um, That being said, like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Completely unfair. But at the same time, like, I love the fact that we have fans that actually care enough to get mad. And if we could have millions of fans that care enough to get mad at good or bad or otherwise, I mean, then the sport would grow to just incredible levels. So there's kind of the, the both elements that you kind of got to accept that you're going to have fans and people that not don't like you, and that's life. And no matter how you go about it, you're going to have that. Oh, now I got a, my girlfriend joining me too. Hi. <laughs> so, Anyways. Kirk, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is you're when you're on the ice, you're so positive uh, with everything. And how much of that is intentional and how much of that is just uh, you being a bright side kind of guy. Well, you know, and, and that's a really good point. And you know what, for, for that, for that, I, I, I very intentionally, so there's two things I want to kind of talk about there. I very intentionally try to be positive and I don't know when that really started, but you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago, maybe hearing Mark Kennedy saying that, like, you know, you kind of need that positive person on the team. He decided he was going to be that positive person. And, and I think I've been doing it, you know, for, a good 10, 15 years into juniors, I was always trying to be that positive person, but I was 
the goal has always been, and I think this was kind of drilled into me by my parents and maybe my dad over the years is like, what can you do to make your teammates better? And like, I've mm-hmm. always thought like my teammates are always better when I make them feel like they can make mistakes. Like it's going to be okay. Like I'm going to have their back that makes them play better. So I very mm-hmm. intentionally decided that that was how I was going to, you know, play the game. And I always consider myself, I'm like, well, I'm not actually the best curler. I'm not the best athlete, but if I can do things to make my teammates better, you know, that'll just help us be a better team. So I very intentionally implemented that. Um, And then on the other side of that is, trust me, there's people on social media that don't like that either. So you can, you can be frustrated and you can show emotion and people don't like you because you do that. You can be this uh, positive energy out there and people don't like you for that. So there's no winning. There's going to be people that have their opinion. And if you can just move on from it and be like, I'm going to be who I need to be for my team. And this mm-hmm. is who I need to be. And I need to be that positive voice for the team. I need to continue to keep us moving along. And then other players are going to be that way. And I can tell you playing with uh, Moss now for a year, he is incredibly, incredibly positive on our team. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's, he, people don't see it and people have maybe have their opinions, but he is an incredibly positive influence on our team. He's, he's a leader out there. No matter what, he's always bringing the team along. He's always pulling us along. He's always keeping us going and very positive. And people may not see that. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Um, mm. But that's just the thing. People create their their narrative about someone in their mind, but it's it's really not real in a lot of cases. And then third point on that is I'm really not that positive in real life. <laughs> you can just ask my, my partner who came in here. Uh, I, I've seen a few like tweets or something over the years. It's like, Oh, Kirk's partner must be so lucky that he's positive like this. And I'm like, I don't think if you asked her that, I'm not always positive like that. But it's a it's a part of my curling game that I've really tried to implement and then, you know, try to carry it over into my life. But um, yeah. it doesn't always happen that way. Of course. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it, too, is the way people see it is what they want in teammates when they play. Because so many fans play themselves in rec leagues mm-hmm. and you you look on TV for who maybe you would want to play with. And I know for what, what I like to play with. And I said this after the, again, to bring up that bron or the, that semifinal, the Briar, I, I said on Thanks. the show after, but I said that was the best game I've ever seen uh, Miscawi play for what I like in someone who's going to be the third. I was so impressed uh, that day. And, you know, I, I, therefore put very high expectations on you guys for this season as a result of that. But like it's one of those things where for me in like in one game um i don't know if it fully changed my opinion but i thought that was a great game and i have no idea what he shot i like if he missed anything i have no idea but just on what i heard on the mic i was so positive about it uh and and i think seeing that from you guys it, it takes time right to come together to figure out how to communicate i mean you played with your brother forever uh right and that's a different type of communication than when it's not someone who you grew up with and and yep. have played with for a long time so just how long does that take and, and how challenging is it to learn communication with new players when you're doing it on national television yeah you know i i think it's a forever work in progress like uh, i think almost at our the stage that we play at you know at the top level like pretty much everybody's making 90 percent of their shots generally but it's like those other things and it's that communication piece. And so like we got thrown in the ringer there. Basically our first game we ever played was like together was, I think it was against Ontario at the Briar and that was on TV. Like, and so you, you kind of work through it and like, we kind of started to feel the groove. Luckily we've all played together in the past at some point. So, and, and we've all been kind of friends over the years. So we kind of know each other, but you know, we got thrown in the ringer. We continue to like, 
fine tune that, uh, that communication piece. And Adam Kingsbury is a huge help in that, but I think that's going to continue on as we go here. And I think the other thing was like, we had to find our identity, you know, what, what roles are each person going to play on the team? Who's going to be that leader in this moment, that moment. And you kind of have to figure that out as you go. And I think it's a forever work in progress, but like, like you said, we were thrown in the, thrown in the fire there at the bubble. We learned it really good. We had a, in my opinion, we had a great season. Um, for coming together and that just what that was. Um, and then it was like, now we've kind of worked throughout the summer on kind of fine tuning our roles and that communication piece. And then that'll flow into when we get going here um, this, this, this season as well. And so it's just a never ending progression, but I think we fell into it really good. And I think we have a good mix of personalities and everyone can kind of know their spot. And, uh, and then we talk about that, you know, after the game, it's like, Hey, do you like when I do this? Do you like when I do that? Love it, hate it, whatever it may be. And I think that that progression is is the small things I think that's going to lead like the next team to to be champions in, in our sport. So I guess just to, to wrap here, I, I've thought for the last couple of years, and we've sort of touched it on on the show in pieces, where I, I want to start referring to what we see on TV and the players as we see them on TV as you've used the word persona. I've used the word character that this is sort of the TV character of the person as a way to differentiate between the human being, say Kirk Myers, and the TV athlete, Kirk Myers. Uh, do you think that's fair? And how do you think we could maybe best communicate to fans who, again, we love that they're invested and we love that they care about how they feel about the players, but we also want to make it an environment where you guys can go play do your thing and you don't have to come back and look at just awfulness on <laughs> online. Right. And and you can really engage with the fans in a positive, meaningful way. Yeah, no. I, and I think that's a really good, like, it's like you have your TV character and people have, you know, and then whatever that may be. And I, I don't know the answer really um, how to, how to like differentiate that, but I mean, maybe teams, you know, maybe teams like, like our team need to do a better job of like off ice content for people to see, you know, whether that's what we do in our normal day-to-day life, what we do with our family and friends and those sort of things. Maybe there's there's that piece that needs to be implemented. I don't know how the best the best way to do that is. Um, you know, and, and at the same, it's kind of off, off the question, but at the same time, it's like, how lucky are we that we found a sport or we play sport and whoever figured it out that we can have like the mics on us, the cameras on our faces. Like, that's what makes this game so special. Like yeah. people people are like part of it and they think they're they're part of the team. You don't get that in other sports. I know other sports are actually trying to do that, you know, like with mm-hmm. uh, the, the CFL, they got their mic'd up games and that sort of thing. But it's just curling was really ahead of its time and implementing that. And it's probably what made the game so popular on TV. And then it's kind of now, you know, how, how do we, like you say, differentiate that, that character you're seeing, yeah. have people have their negative opinions about it, and then maybe help people understand who the person behind that character is. I don't know, maybe the teams need to do a better job of that uh, kind of on social media. But one thing we've seen about social media is, boy, it's hard to weed out the trolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just is never ending, isn't it? It seems to be getting worse. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, no question. And, and you know, in that regard, too, I mean, Scott and I have been lucky with media access or Scott's volunteered at some events where you see underneath, right? And 
in even in the mix zone, it's sometimes it's it's tough if teams are coming off after tight games. Even if you've won, you can still like the blood's still flowing for people. So it's hard to get a true sense of who they are. But it's a li- you just if you can stand with someone for a couple minutes, you do get a better sense. Uh, and I think I, I've done that with uh, with Matt and, and Mosk with with your guys. And in that moment, you can sense that it's a little different from what the the TV persona. So having that access, maybe not directly, it's very hard to like talk to every fan in the building. Uh, but in some way, it's great. And Scott, I don't know. Do you want to tell your Kirk Myers story? Yeah, well, Kirk, uh, I was volunteering at the trials in 2017. And I think you were the only curler that, you know, shook my hand and said, hi, I'm Kirk. And I thought, wow, <laughs> oh, there you <laughs> there you go. So uh, I, I knew that who you were, but that was nice. It was just sort of a nice a uh, story that I tell to some people about uh, the experience volunteering and, you know, how fun it can be to be in the building and have that kind of, that kind of access. Oh, that's very cool. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's another thing I think curlers can do. And I think over the last few years, it's become very intense. It's been harder for curlers to do that, you know, at, in these moments when they're, all they're thinking about is winning or whatever yeah. that may be and competing, but, you know, that used to be what made curling great is all the curlers would go to the patch after and they would hang out with all the, the fans. Well, that, that's being lost a little bit in our game. And, and maybe, maybe the curlers need to do a better job of bringing that back um, and having those moments and having those handshakes and, and meeting as many people as you can. But, um, mm-hmm. and then you get just get a better sense of the person versus the, the character you see on TV. Yeah. But again, it's tough mm-hmm. when there's such high stakes. Like I would imagine the trials this year, no one's going to the patch uh, <laughs> until you're until the teams like until you're once you're out of it, maybe uh, for yeah. the teams who, who are out of it. Uh, but you know that's why I think events like the slams are good in that regard. They're still intense, but not quite to the same extent as the trials. Uh, mm-hmm. Or or the Continental Cups are great for that. Uh, and having those sorts of lighter events where you can have that interaction because the stakes aren't quite as high. Uh, you know, more of those would be great. And I know the, I assume I've never been to the Oakville Spiels, but people rave about them and you're going there this week uh, to the Oakville Spiels. So I imagine like those, those sorts of club Spiels, you get a lot more interaction. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And I think again, the average fan, the average fan that's likely making those negative uh, thoughts on players on TV are not the same fans that are going to the Oakvale Spiels or going to the Saskatoon Spiels or going to the Swift Current Spiels, whatever that may be. Those aren't the same fans, which is too bad because if I think if those fans went to those small clubs where you saw Brad Jacobs and Jennifer Jones walk through the door, you know, change, start getting warmed up right beside the person having a beer and shooting the shit with them. (laughs) Like, I think those fans would really change their perspective on what they see on TV. It's just unfortunate those, uh, those fans don't see that, but thank goodness we have those fans that like to watch curling on TV and, 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 you know, don't necessarily go to the club because that's what creates the numbers. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, well in that regard, Kirk, you guys are going to have a bunch of TV games uh, this year between the the slams and then the trials. Uh, We wish you all the best uh, this upcoming season. What is the internal expectations? You guys have one for the year? You know, we, we, we try to, we tried to talk about that. It's like, you know, like obviously, we want to go to the Olympics, win the Olympic gold medal. Obviously, we want to win the Briar, win the world championship. I mean, we used to always like be like, that's our goal this year. And it's like, okay, well, that's obvious. Everyone knows that's our goal this year. So it's like we aren't even really worrying about that. We're, our goal this year is to go out and play consistent curling. Like whether we can go to the Olympic trials or the Briar, if we if we can even make the Briar, we can go even if we make the Olympic trials, like we can go play our best curling we ever played and not win. That's just the reality yeah. of curling at the top level now. So we're not we're not being like that is it's either do that or bust. We want to go play consistent curling week in, week out, 
starting in Oakville next weekend, playing the play-in event, playing the slams, playing the club events, playing whatever it may be, play consistent. And if we can play consistent, we're going to put ourselves in a lot of big games. The more big games you play, the better you play in big games and the more success you're going to have. So like our goal is just consistency all the way through. We're not going to worry about peaking, anything like that. We just want to go play good, solid curling and continue to just get a little better. Let's see where that shakes out at the end of the year. I think that just puts a little, uh, puts a little more in perspective and a little easier to deal with some of those big, big events. Cause I mean, I'm not going to say it's a coin flip, but I mean, geez, like you said, the best, the best, the the team you think that you go, if on the men's side, if Brendan Botcher plays his best, he may not win. And that's just, that's just the way curling is now in our, in our game. So we're not going to put that expectation on ourselves. Well, uh, well, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today and and good luck this season. Uh, We're looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. So Kirk Myers, thanks so much. Appreciate you doing this guys. And uh, we'll see you around. All right. There you have it. Our chat with Kirk Myers. And again, thank him for joining us today. Scott, what did you think of that and what Kirk had to say? I always love talking to Kirk, Sean. Uh, He's a really good representative for his team and the sport in total. And yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what he had to say that you can't take too much from what you see on TV uh, and, and a lot of interesting stuff about, you know, his, his role on the team and how the team is trying to, uh, you know, figure out what everyone's role is. Uh, so yeah, good stuff from Kirk today. Yeah. And I think too, the way he talked about communication is something that we could mm. take into our own games as, as players at the recreational level, that the communication isn't just necessarily during the shot, that there's a lot of communication in between shots and after the game, uh, I thought that was really interesting when he said, when you're playing with new people, particularly, you could talk, what is it that you want from me? What is it that I do that you think is helpful? Or is there things that I'm doing that is not helpful to you? Having that level of communication and being open and honest with each other is key to success. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. And two, just thinking about uh, the cameras and and potentially having bad games early in your career when you're playing on camera for the first time and just that awareness. So really great insights from Kirk and certainly thank him for his time and wish the best to him and team Dunstone as they travel to Oakville this week to play in that spiel. And then they will be at the pre pre trials here in Ottawa later this month, trying to get that direct entry berth to Saskatoon. So that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you everybody for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show. Wherever did you get your podcast? Do the likes, ratings, comments, helps us beat the algorithms, helps other people find the show. Got a lot of great stuff upcoming as we get into the curling season, looking ahead to the Olympic trials, not just here in Canada, but around the world. It's going to be a busy fall as we figure out who will be traveling to Beijing. So make sure you subscribe for all of that and do head on over to gameofstonespod.com where you can find all of our past episodes and click on the merch tab. All the proceeds are going to a mix of the Sandra Schmirler Foundation and Food Banks Canada. Scott, we are matching the proceeds, but we also then have to match the proceeds of your order because you put one in this week. That's right, Sean. With the fall weather coming, you know, feeling a little chill in the air i thought now's the perfect time for a new game of stones hoodie very nice so we will get that donation in and uh, keep checking the merch tab we might have some new things in the works as we get through the season and of course we will announce all of that on social media do follow along at game of stones pod on twitter and instagram and as i said off the top if you head on over to the 
Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Game of Stones pod, you can watch the interview that we had with Kirk Myers. Uh, I don't think you'd watch it for Scott or I's face, but maybe Kirk's. Yeah. Uh, and, if, and if you want to see his dog, his dog came in in the middle. Everyone likes seeing dogs. Yeah, dogs are good. Yeah, so uh, check that out uh, over there. So that will do it for this week. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you again next week. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...